Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're in a series called Unwrapping Christmases and as we are trying to think through what it looks like for us to unwrap Christmas, last week we kind of started with a premise that Christmas is uh, is two things primarily. Um, it's gifts and candy. No, that's not what we did. We talked about how besides the gifts and the candy and the wrapping and the decorations and the glitz and the glamour of Christmas, Christmas is really primarily doctrinal. It is a doctrinal holiday. It's a holiday in which we celebrate that the, the moment where God took on flesh in a human form so that he could live a sinless, perfect life, so he could die on the cross, so that he would be our substitute for our sin. It's doctrinal. And then we also talked about how it's also historical. All these things we're talking about actually happened. Jesus was actually born. Mary really was a virgin. Joseph really was caught off guard. All of these things, the angels really spoke to the shepherds. All of these things we hear about in the Christmas story are not just stories in the same way that Cinderella is a story. They're not stories in the same way that we fabricate big stories. These are historical accuracies that we're celebrating. And if we embrace that they're doctrinal, if we embrace that they are historical, what we will find is we will totally recognize our need for a savior. We will become abundantly aware that we need Jesus in our life. And then we'll also be aware of this fact that we, through this time of the year and then well after Christmas, we will want to prioritize relationships in our life. Now, today, as we further unwrap Christmas, we want to start in the book of Psalms in 29 in verse 2. In fact, let's read this verse together. Ready, begin. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, as you look at scripture, sometimes it's really helpful to identify what are the commands given to me in this verse? Is God asking me to do something? Is he commanding me to do something? So as you look at Psalm 29, verse 2, how many commands do you see? Yeah, there's two commands. The first one is what? Honor. Honor. And the second one is? These are the anchors of the verse. This is how you study scripture. So now you find two commands that are really important for us to grasp. We're going to honor the Lord and we're going to worship the Lord. So today, we're going to unwrap Christmas. As we get started, I want to start with this premise that your heart is formed by what you worship. We're going to spend today unpacking this statement, but your heart is formed by what you worship. There once was a Sunday school teacher who was quizzing her students just before Easter, And she said, okay, okay, class, uh, see if you can guess who this is. It has long ears, a fuzzy tail, and it hops around the yard. There's a little boy in the class, and and he kind of reluctantly raises his hand, and she calls on him, and he says, 
okay, teacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but it really sounds like a rabbit, (laughs) right? That's how we can get around Christmas. We know everything's about Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. In fact, if I ask you right now, who do we celebrate during the Advent and during the Christmas season, you would say wholeheartedly, we celebrate Jesus. And then if you would unpack your, uh, oh, I don't know, your checkbook. <laughs> if we would unpack your, uh, your screen time, if we would unpack your calendar, I wonder if it would reflect that this time of year is all about Jesus. Like we know it's supposed to be about Jesus, but if we evaluate every other metric in our life, whether it's our checkbook or our calendar, where we spend our time or who we spend our time with or the things we're willing to cancel during this time of year in order to prioritize other things, if we were to actually look at the metrics, I wonder if we could accurately say, well, based on how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, we agree that Jesus is the answer. So does the way we spend our time and our money and our energy really reflect that this time of year is about worshiping God? I want to remind you, your heart is formed by what you worship. So we will spend hundreds of dollars during the holiday season hoping, whether we want to admit to it or not, that the latest and greatest gift will fulfill us and those we give our gifts to. We think these are the items that will bring us joy. These are the items that will make our Christmas memorable. And so we go to store after store after store or, in many of our cases, website after website after website to find the perfect gift, to look for the perfect reason to spend our money, and yet we still long for peace during this time of year. Some of us long for peace in place of the annual holiday soap opera known as family dinner. Some of us shop till we drop so we can finally get some rest. And we go into debt and assume that we're entitled to whatever we want. We sit in church drained and exhausted and yet ironically restless because we're too far from the stable to see much of anything. So the heart of what we're truly in search for, hope, peace, love, joy, rest, is buried in the seasonal chaos. Now here's the irony. The irony is that the time of year when focusing on Christ should be the easiest is often the hardest. Most of the songs that we'll sing during this time will mention Jesus' name or the reason for the season. We're surrounded by reminders of Jesus' birth, and yet the ironic thing is the time of year when it should be the easiest to focus on God is actually the hardest. And so our invitation is to remain at the side of Jesus and to worship him no matter how strongly the cultural demands of Christmas will pull at us. So today, we're going to look at different characters in the Christmas story And we're going to see how they help us unwrap worship during Christmas. So we start with Mary. Mary was a teenage girl engaged to a poor carpenter named Joseph. She lived in a dusty fringe of the mighty Roman Empire. 
just another powerless peasant in another backwater town, as it were. She was the young woman whom God extended the invitation to be the mother of the Messiah. And so the scene unfolds with Gabriel, the archangel, announcing to Mary that she has found favor with God. She will give birth to a child, and she will be named Jesus. Mary's response is, here am I. The Lord's servant, as you have said, let it be done. She doesn't protest or let her fear sway her from following God. In fact, the first chapter of Luke ends with a song of devotion that Mary wrote. This is a few verses long. It begins in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. But I think it'd be helpful uh, if we read these 8 or 9, 10 verses together. Let's read them together. Mary's song, ready, begin. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his little servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Here is Mary, and as she hears the news that her body will be used as a vessel for the baby Jesus, this is how Mary responds. This is how she worships. Mary worshiped by praising God and God alone. Here's Mary, and she's magnifying God and pointing to him all her worship and confesses her, his great love for her. Think about the posture of her heart. It's ironic because during this time of year, it is very easy for us to become self-absorbed, for us to become all-powerful, all-rich, self-absorbed during Christmas. And yet, what do we owe a God who entered our world to bring justice and righteousness? Here, Mary responds with worship, and it's a good reminder for us to take God's self-revelation seriously as we begin to desire the same things that move his perfect heart. So Mary worshiped by praising God and God alone. I want you to think about Mary living in a small town And now pregnant outside the covenant of marriage, how do you think life was for her on a daily basis? The small town, now she is engaged to be married to Joseph, and now she's pregnant. And over the weeks and the months of her pregnancy, we know what's happening in that small town in terms of chatter, don't we? We know what's happening in terms of gossip. We know what's happening in, in terms of how fa- they didn't need Twitter and Facebook for that news to get around. Am I right? The news starts spreading in that small town. 
Most historians believe that at the time that Mary lived, the population of Bethlehem was a whopping 1,200 people. It wouldn't take long for the town to realize that Mary was pregnant outside the covenant of marriage. And so now here's Mary enduring the harsh stares, the gossipy whispers. So where does she go? Who does she turn to? We continue the story in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. It says this. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. So here's Mary. She journeys from Nazareth to a town in the, in the hill country of Judea. Mary finds her cousin Elizabeth living with her own miracle pregnancy. For those of you who don't know the story, Elizabeth is now pregnant with John, who would later become the Israel's most colorful prophets. We'll call him colorful. His name would be John the baptizer, the one who prepares the way for Mary's baby. John is about six months older than Jesus. And so Elizabeth's pregnancy was a miracle all on its own. And so these two ended up having quite a bit to discuss. And how desperately Mary must have longed for at least someone, anyone, to believe her miracle story. And here she finds someone, not only a relative, but a safe person that she could talk to and say, yeah. And then the angel came, and the angel told me this, and then he told me this, and then he was gone, and now I'm here, and now I'm pregnant. This is probably one of the only people that Mary could have talked to in these kinds of ways for someone to completely understand where she was coming from. It was in the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah that she found what she needed. And in the coming years and days and weeks and months ahead, Mary would no doubt encounter many who had doubted her story and more than a few who came to believe her glorious detail. But it was Elizabeth's hospitality that soothed Mary's soul at a critical season. So Mary worshiped God by uh, by praising God and God alone, Elizabeth worshiped God differently. Elizabeth worshiped by providing a safe place for those who never thought they'd be welcomed by anyone. Elizabeth provided a safe place for those who never thought they'd be welcomed by anyone. Is it possible that all these years later, that one of the ways we can still celebrate Advent and Christmas is by honoring those who never thought they'd be welcomed by anyone in the first place? If the ancient practice of hospitality showed up in the Christmas story, couldn't it show up in our Christmas story this year? What would it look like for you to welcome someone who never thought they'd be welcomed by anyone? You know how how most people find Jesus? Most people find Jesus because of people. Because of people that will extend an invitation, because of people that will provide a safe place for someone to sit and hear and be heard and listened to without judgment or expectation, but in a safe place where people can just meet Jesus. 
I think the beautiful example of Jesus when he's grown as an adult is Jesus always met people where they were in the New Testament. He didn't expect people to come to him as a finished product. And I don't know, I feel like someone probably needs to hear that today. Jesus never expected anyone to come to him as a finished product. He came to them. He would meet people where they were. But here's the glorious news of the gospel is when you meet Jesus and you embrace what he says, you will never remain the same. You just won't. So here's Elizabeth and Mary and Mary has this complicated pregnancy, this unusual set of circumstances. So she finds the one person that maybe can identify with her. And Elizabeth, while she is pregnant, and she's about six months pregnant, uh, the best we can imagine. And so she is six months pregnant. She sees, uh, she sees Mary at her door and Mary's like, you'll never believe what happened. And when I say that, it's not a figure of speech. You will never believe what happened. And instead of judging her, Instead of questioning her, she simply provided a safe place for Mary to hear from God again. She provided a safe place. Um, It's one of my prayers uh, for our church that we're just a safe place for people to meet Jesus. That we become a safe place as people, but also our, our building and the sanctuary and these rows and these seats. And during the week when I walk through here and the silence of uh, with no one around and I pray through, that's one of the words that come up. And I, I pray, Lord, the people that are sitting here this week, I pray this is a safe place for them to meet Jesus. I pray this becomes a safe place for them to hear your voice. A safe place for them to walk away from the judgment or the expectation they may put on themselves and simply provide a safe place for people to meet Jesus. How can we worship? How do, what does unwrapping worship look like this week, this year uh, for Christmas? Well, we're gonna worship by praising God and God alone. And then I wanna challenge you to provide a safe place for those who never thought they would be welcomed in the first place. Joseph is the earthly father of Jesus who goes from model citizen to soap opera star overnight, right? His fiance is pregnant. The baby is not his. This would be questionable today. It was beyond taboo in Joseph's world. Now, by Jewish rights, he could have exposed Mary to public shame and punishment And yet he decides to discreetly speak or he decides to discreetly break off the engagement and let things end as quietly as possible. That was in his purview. So while he's mulling these things over, an angel shows up. Wouldn't that be awesome the next time you're thinking about something and the angel just shows up and starts talking about the very thing you're mulling over? Here's Joseph and he's trying to figure out what to do next. Enter an angel. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 says this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So much beauty in these verses. It's beautiful that God came in person to walk with us as one of us. God is saving the world because he entered into the very situation he wants to heal. Now, when we worship Jesus at Christianity, we're reminded that God came for all humanity, no matter our circumstances, no matter our need. He came to be rescued or he came to rescue us from sin by the sacred son. This is the promise of God with us. So here is Joseph and he's wrestling with what to do next. His fiance is pregnant. And he's mulling over his options. He has legal recourse to out uh, Mary, to embarrass her, to break off the engagement, to, uh, to deal with it that way. And as he's mulling over his options, the angel of the Lord says, hey, the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and now you will name him Jesus. And he will save his people from his sin." And Joseph, we see as an example, worshiped God by choosing obedience. He chose obedience in circumstances he didn't understand. He chose obedience during a a moment where it was easy to take another option. He chose obedience when the options didn't make sense. He chose obedience when he was given very little information. He chose obedience above all. And this Christmas, you have the opportunity to choose obedience in your worship. It's interesting because however scared he was of what his mother would say or his friends would think, he took Mary to be his wife. He gave up his reputation and his rights because of a call from God. And Joseph reminds us that while obeying God isn't always easy or conventional, it's always the right thing to do. And God will give you the courage to follow even if you are uh, in a difficult position. And like God, when we act in obedience to God's invitation, despite the social cost, we help God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Mary worshiped by praising God and God alone. Elizabeth worshiped by providing a safe place for someone who wouldn't normally feel welcome. Joseph worshiped by choosing obedience. We come to this Christmas story from, the, uh, from Scripture, and we see now that the Angelic messengers are bringing the news of Jesus' birth to shepherds who are working nearby. Now, it's interesting, when I was reading about shepherds in the New Testament, we have kind of a romantic idea about who shepherds are. David was a shepherd. And at the time, in antiquity, uh, we think of shepherds as having a noble job. We have, uh, we have these... Uh, Pictures in our minds of shepherds in green pastures overlooking uh, sheep and having this noble, sacred task that is revered in history. And yet, if you do any reading about this job during antiquity, this job stunk. It was often despised like thieves. Um, In legal proceedings, shepherds couldn't testify. Their presence wasn't allowed in high society. They often found themselves on the outskirts of town, shunned by the mainstream population. Shepherds were not revered at all. And yet, aren't we grateful that we are loved by a God who sees those who are overlooked? 
So at the birth of his only son, God chose a group of people, invisible to most of the world, to celebrate the good news of the Savior's birth. Luke 8 and verse, or Luke 1 and verse 8, it says this, that night were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising. By the way, at this point, they were terrified with one angel. Could you imagine what they were feeling at this point? Now we have a host of angels, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, did you get that on your phone? Were you recording? Did you get a good picture? No. I put myself in these stories, and that's where those comments come from. They said to each other, I think it's so interesting to see their response. What was the first thing they wanted to do? Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village, found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Now what do they do? Verse 17. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. After seeing the baby face to face, this was their response. They told the news to everyone. Because once you meet Jesus, you must tell everyone you know about what he promises. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. How did the shepherds worship? Well, they worship God by spreading the good news far and wide. And I would ask you this morning, are you willing to respond to this call to leave our responsibilities and hurry off, first of all, to see this miracle? For some of us, it means that we need to get a fresh picture of Jesus coming into our world, coming into our lives. We need a fresh awareness of what it means to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Think about the people of Israel. They had been waiting for a savior. The Old Testament told them about this savior, and yet it was hundreds and hundreds of years of silence. The prophets had told them uh, what was going to happen, and they had prophets for years to come. So they had prophets for different eras and different generations. And then there was nothing. They just waited. And maybe they sang to themselves, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And maybe they prayed to God and said, when is our Savior coming? 
We have been slaves. We've been in exile. Rome is now occupying our land. When is it going to be our time? When is our Savior going to come? So for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people are singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And you got to believe that the way they sung that was not in joyful exaltation as we were able to do this morning, but most likely they prayed and they sang those words with tears in their eyes and they said, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And silence and nothing for generations and generations and generations. And then one night, here's these shepherds, and they're just minding their own business on the outskirts of town because that's where everybody wanted them. And the angel first comes and says, fear not, you're never going to believe what's happening. And the verse accurately describes, and they were terrified. And then all of a sudden, as he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus' birth, there's a host of angels, the armies of heaven, gathered around the one angel declaring the good news that Jesus has been born. And the next thing on their list wasn't to check to see if the sheep were still there. The next thing on their list wasn't to find a place to go to bed that night. There was a sense of urgency and immediacy to finding out first is this real? Is this really happening? Is Jesus really born? Let's go find out. And the verse describes them coming, and they see Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, just as the angels had said. And now that they know it's for real, we come to this amazing verse where they, the shepherds, now you got to picture this. This is the outcast of society, these are the people that are not welcome at high dinner. These are the people that are not welcome at, uh, at the fanciest restaurants. These are the people that you probably wouldn't want with you at your Thanksgiving meal. These are the outskirts of everyone telling them, you know what our responsibility is? We get to tell everyone that the wait is over. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. I wonder what it looks like for us to unwrap Christmas this year, to create this new sense of urgency. Some of you are like, we have a sense of urgency, Daniel. I got things to buy. I got gifts to wrap. I got decorations to put up. I got meals to plan. I got food to prep. There is a sense of urgency. And I don't want us to lose any of that because I enjoy all of those things. But can we, is there space in our Christmas to have a sense of urgency about telling people about a Savior who's finally come? And all we got to do is tell them two things. Hey, Christmas is real. I've seen Jesus. He's entered my world, and he's changed my life. And I want, you to, I want to introduce you to him. Unwrapping Christmas today. What does that look like for you? Well, if we will resist the cultural pull 
towards everything temporary, and we lift our eyes just a little bit to look at the eternal value of things, first of all, we will be like Mary. We will praise God and God alone. So in your bulletins there, there's some things to help you with uh, taking Sunday home with you and figuring out what this looks like in your home. But I would ask you now, what's the song you're going to commit to this week that you're going to praise God to? What is the song that, and you get to pick your own song. I don't, I'm not going to pick yours for you. But what's the song, what's the Christmas carol, what's the worship song that will center your heart this week as you go through this week? Mary praised God and God alone. Elizabeth praised our worship God by, by providing the safe place for people who never thought they'd be welcomed. What does that look like for you to provide a safe place for someone? It can be as easy as inviting someone to sit with you in church. I was talking to someone who's visited our church in the last, well, let's just say the last six months. And one of the things they commented when they, when I had a chance to visit with them is they said, um, I think I'm getting this right. They said this, I didn't know it was okay for me to come to church. So providing a safe place is as simple as saying, I'm going to sit with you and we're going to do this together. Providing a safe place might be um, reaching out to someone this week who you know that Christmas is a difficult time and to remind them, hey, I just, I love you and I'm praying for you this week. What does it look like for you to unwrap Christmas this week and simply provide a safe place for people so that they can meet Jesus? And then there's Joseph. Joseph simply worshiped by choosing obedience. What is it uh, what does it look like for you to obey God right now? Is there an area of your life where God is specifically asking you to serve him or to obey him or to respond to him? And uh, just like the child who knows that they're caught in a tough spot, you just crossing your fingers towards God and you say, not right now. And you won't make eye contact with God. You won't engage with him but he's asking you to do something and you're just kind of sitting there with your arms crossed and saying, mm-mm, I don't want to. What's the area of your life where you simply get to choose obedience? And then like the shepherds, man, when we see Jesus and we realize this, 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 this is true, this is real, he's alive, he has changed my life, we will have no choice but to respond by spreading the news far and wide. This is unwrapping worship, where we get to say with the psalmist, honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. This is unwrapping worship. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.